My name is Scott Sorocek. I am an alum of class of 84, so I graduated a year after Jane. Um, and I cannot believe it was <laughs> 36 years ago. It yeah. literally seems like just yesterday. Um, but um, I, I graduated from SHS in, in 84, um, went to UMass, and shortly thereafter um, had a double major in computer science and engineering. Um, if you recall <laughs> from the stories, um, that was right around the time that Steve Jobs came out with the Macintosh. And I was a freshman at uh, UMass and uh, I saw that ad on the Super Bowl ad and I just was completely blown away. And, and it really hooked me into wanting basically to get through college as fast as I humanly possibly can and to get out to Silicon Valley, which is where I've called my second home for 30 years. Boston will always be uh, my, my home. I still follow all the, um, all the New England sports teams. Um, absolutely tragic that TB is now a Tampa Bay Buccaneer. Gronk's coming back. Edelman's for sure going to follow him. So anyway, sidebar. Um, so yeah, moved out here right after graduating college in 88. Um, started uh, programming for a couple of years. Um, the story that I like to tell everybody is I coded for about two years. I was what they call a systems engineer, um, sales engineer, which meant I went out into the field and out of a sales deck that a salesperson would create, typically 12 to 15 slides, I would create one, which was called the high level architecture diagram. And my job was supposed to talk geek and talk techie to um, anybody that would listen to, to validate that the problems and the solutions that we were selling um, would fit in with their needs. Um, I was still driving my 1969 Plymouth Valiant, which I drove across from Boston all the way to California. It had holes in the floorboards where your feet were like this big, rusted from all the uh, Coca-Cola cans that I would drink and throw down on the floor. And the reason I say that is because I had that car for two years. Um, I was making decent money at the time. At the time was 22.5. And I would do one slide and I felt really enjoyable about my job and about the people. I always had a bit of a sales slant to me. So I loved solving people's problems. And about two years in, um, I was found myself doing all of the slides, including the sales slides, uh, pretty much got all of the deals almost closed, pretty much closed except to sign it. And I was watching my sales reps drive away in BMW M3s and M5s. And I was still driving this piece of crap, 1969 Plymouth Valiant. And I said to myself, you know, I didn't move out to Silicon Valley just to be a geek and code. Like I probably am gonna need some money eventually. And so I went to my VP of um, sales, which really wasn't my, my direct report. And I said, look, I'm, I'm happy in my job. I love being a geek. I love coding, but I need to make more money. So teach me how to sell. And so that gentleman, um, Don Hutchison is still a mentor to me today. Um, and uh, I made the transition from computer nerd geek to computer nerd geek, but knows how to sell and, and actually um, do a lot of um, different areas around business. And um, um, I won't bore you with the 20 years that transpired since that time, but in the last 10 years, um, I've been a venture capitalist here in Silicon Valley, and um, I'm happy to kind of walk you through the, the, what a venture capitalist does and what the, the good, the bad, and the ugly are, but, um, but that's kind of my initial lead-in from graduating college and being an alum at SHS to college or high school to college and then making my way out here. So that's kind of my, my quick intro. <laughs> Thanks so much, Scott. <laughs> Doma T. Um, so I graduated in 2014, so uh, not that long ago. <laughs> um, I do not have a career in venture capitalism uh, or in venture investments, um, but I did, I graduated from McGill with a major in information systems and a minor in entrepreneurship. And then I was a Peace Corps volunteer in Columbia from July 2018 to March 2020. And I worked in community economic development. So that was basically doing a lot of entrepreneurship at a very small local level um, with local um, business owners. Most of them don't have like a real accounting system, stuff like that. It's also an extremely rural area. So I did entrepreneurship, just not <laughs> venture capitalism level. Um, so that's my background in that. <laughs> yeah. 
Great. We're going to hear two very different stories. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, but probably with similar advice as far as what it takes to be happy and successful. Um, so one of the questions that came in before the start of the session uh, related to, um, well, a high schooler asked, how do I get experience now in high school with internships or other projects that will help me learn more about venture capitalism and um, entrepreneurships? So um, this came from a sophomore. Scott or Domiti? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's a great question. I think the one thing I would encourage everybody to do, and I was, again, I keep saying it, I was a geek nerd and super shy. Um, and I didn't really have a mentor in high school, and which is why, Jane, I love the fact that you're, you're doing this for the students. Um, my best advice would be find a job, first and foremost, that you are really passionate about. So for me, it was coding. And when I got out here, I just tried to find a company that was reasonably close by that I really felt like I could like the culture and I liked the people and that I could really learn from. Um, you know, like many of you, I was, you know, fresh out of high school or college and just really wanted to learn and, and really wanted to apply myself. And I wanted to apply myself in jobs that were relevant to, um, to, to what I ultimately wanted to do. So I would strongly suggest, and you have this now, which you didn't have back then, you've got tons of online um, uh, community boards with companies that allow you as a um, high schooler or even as a, a college student to apply to summer internships. And a lot of them are minimum wage. Um, some of them that are really, really sought after, <laughs> you're working for free. But the experience that you gain, um, I will tell you, if you have a really good manager and mentor, is um, immeasurable. And, and that is the kind of experience that when I hire people out of um, high school and college that I look for. I look for people that um, are not, not that there's anything wrong with it, um, but you, know, you can get a job at Starbucks and be a barista, right? But it takes sort of a certain someone to say, I don't maybe know exactly what I want to do in business, but I'm going to apply to X, Y, and Z companies in Worcester or Shrewsbury or whatever that is going to give me a little bit of an edge up when I get into college or when I get into um, the professional world. Uh, again, I'm not taking anything away from just having a job. It's awesome, especially during the economic times that we're under right now. But having said that, if you are going to apply, I would strongly just encourage you to get online and, and apply on company websites or through indeed.com or, or, or some other online service because that experience matters to hiring managers when, when you get out of school. I would also add that um, for me as someone who hasn't obviously had a lot of experience in this, in this industry, I worked for my mom for one summer and she is an artist who like has a really small startup. And then I worked for a really big company the year after and they were both internships, but they both gave me a much better understanding of like how a company works. And I think that if you want to go into the startup world, you should know how companies grow in the first place and like how they function. So maybe trying to diversify the experiences that you get while you're young and while you can't afford to be unpaid, I think is really important. Thank you, Scott and Domati. Um, another question had to do with um, colleges and are there certain colleges or universities that are better than others as you think about venture capitalism? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, let's see, how best to answer this. Uh, I think that I'm gonna always give you the answer that immediately comes to mind, which most of the time gets me in trouble. It's not the politically correct answer, so I'm just gonna throw it out there. Everyone will tell you that if you wanna get into venture capital, you've gotta to go to Harvard, Yale, Stanford, MIT, um, that's a crock. Like you really, you really do not need to do that. What matters is that if you're going to get into venture, you had obviously better really like numbers. You had better like finance. You had better like economics, right? It's kind of like when I was going to be a computer science engineer and I was coding all the time and I was a super geeky nerd, it probably didn't make sense for me to go to a liberal arts school. 
right? That's just, it's like completely orthogonal. So if you know what you want to do, um, or even if you have a reasonable idea that you want to get into venture capital or even entrepreneurialism, go to a school that's going to broaden your experience. So I'll give you an example. My brother um, went to um, UC Santa Barbara, very um, liberal arts school, but very focused on economics and, and, and finance. And I think that for me, if you even go to a school, like another example, like for me, UMass was, would not be considered a Ivy League school that you would go and be, um, you know, a, uh, a VC at. But really, you, you focus on the career you want, and then you align your college that you want to go to ar around that. If you don't know, I will tell you the good news and the topic that you're all here for today, which is really entrepreneurship, which is part of venture. You can go to any school, have a great idea, and then apply that to being an entrepreneur and starting, um, and starting your own business. And remember, there are tons of examples of people that have gone to schools where they were not in the right school for the right sort of startup that they did, um, but they learned about finance, they learned about how to build companies, and you're going to get that from, from almost any school. Great. Um, I have, Domiti, do you want to add on? Um, sorry, the question was for schools, right? What would be yes. Yes. Um, I think that I was in a business program and I think that that was really important because I had group projects for every single class for every single semester. So I learned how to work with like a lot of different people. And I also had like a lot of good group dynamics, a lot of bad group dynamics. So if you know that you want to go into entrepreneurship, um, I think it's a really good idea to maybe orient yourself specifically towards a business program because engineering and liberal arts programs don't have group projects in general, and you're going to need those social skills um, to have a successful startup or like work in entrepreneurship. Thank you, Damati. I have a question here from a student. I was wondering um, along the same lines, if there is a good course track to take in college to become a venture capitalist. Yeah, um, they didn't have them back in the day, and now I completely sound like my, my parents, but they didn't have venture capital, entrepreneurship programs in college. I actually um, have gone to all my daughter's colleges, very proud dad moment, sidebar, uh, to do like speaking engagements about what it means to be a venture capitalist, what you need to do to kind of get into that role. And I actually um, am really happy now that, that Shrewsbury is, is doing this because I think you can't start young enough. I mean, I can list dozens and dozens and dozens of colleagues that um, I have in venture and that I've invested in their companies that were in high school. Um, and I'm not suggesting that you don't go to college, go to college, but um, the point I was going to make is the classes that you can take now, even in high school, are entrepreneurship programs. Back, the, back in the day, I can't remember his name, I should, but all we had was like basic finance, checkbooks, how to balance checkbooks, which is important. You need to do that when you get out of school. But you've got programs around venture capital, um, investing 101, entrepreneurship, how to start your own business. All of these classes exist now at pretty much any college. You don't have to be at an Ivy League college to get these. So I would go under general business or finance and then start ripping through all of the different subcategories that they have. You're going to find something that is around venture capital, entrepreneurialism, starting your business 101, um, how to do a startup. And those are the classes that you want to take. And by the way, even if you don't start a company, those are classes that you are going to learn a lot from in just general business when you get out of school. Another student asked, um, can you remind me why you left Boston and drove your car across the country to California to become a venture capitalist? Yeah, it's a great, great question. I don't mind answering it. Uh, any questions are, are open, by the way. Um, so these two companies don't exist anymore, but um, uh, maybe Michelle and Jane will remember back in, in the late eighties, early nineties, there was a company called Wang computers and they compute. See, that's, that's funny that Michelle's laughing. It's just showing. You went to UMass Lowell, right? 
Yeah. I went, I grew up in Dracut. So Wang was a big, uh, a big huge. employer back in the day. They were huge. Yeah. They were absolutely massive. And, um, and so I got a job offer by them. They were a huge public company. And then I also got an offer from um, DEC, Digital Equipment Corporation, which was subsequently sold and bought to HP. And I was thinking to myself, and again, remember backing up in 1984, I was a wetback geek engineer, just starting UMass Lowell. And then that ad came out from Steve Jobs, 1984, when he launched the Macintosh during the Super Bowl. And I was just so blown away by that. And I finally was graduating. I got two job offers and I'm thinking to myself, so I can go work for a really huge company, be another sort of individual piece um, of, of the cog in the engine of the car, or I can take a little bit of a risk. Um, I didn't have any money, but I also didn't have any debt and just kind of get out to California where I felt like I could be impacting, you know, um, individually contributing a little bit more. And so there's two things that when I look back on my career, I am extremely thankful for. And by the way, PS, I've made probably more mistakes than every single person on this call, um, including Jane and Michelle and all of you times a hundred. But the two things that I really am proud of is number one, that I had the, um, the, the, I was almost going to say something else, but the um, fortitude and the willingness to try something new and to take a risk and to get to California um, because I really didn't have anything to lose. And then the second thing, which I'm going to all encourage you to like burn into your brains is networking. So at a very young age, um, for me, it was about getting to know people here in California, getting to know my, my coders, my fellow programmers, my bosses, my bosses, bosses. And that was just part of me being a geek, but being a little bit personable. And when I look back and I look at all of the people that I've met um, and, and the people now that I consider friends, um, many of them and, and a few of you on this call are going to go on to being presidents of companies, heads of state. And, and I kid you not, it, it, it happens. And so for me, when I got to California, I just felt like it created such an enormous amount of opportunity for me being in the middle of Silicon Valley programming as the computer industry was booming through the eight, late 80s into the 90s, networking, the internet was really coming on board from dial-up to broadband, which we all take for granted now. And so long-winded, I just, I took a chance and I just wanted to work for startups and, and feel like I could make my own mark rather than being one individual in a larger company. And PS, by the way, my sister who graduated with me, she worked for Xerox for like 15 years and she was a big company. Like she loved it. She liked kind of working the structured hours, the processes and whatnot. And I'm the exact opposite. I like to move fast. I like to break shit. I like to make sure, sorry, break stuff. Sorry. Uh, and just really try to do everything I can to impact a company. And you get that opportunity with smaller, smaller companies. And I just felt like Silicon Valley was, was the place to be. Um, I have a question, Scott, you, if the few times we've talked now, you've, you've talked about these mistakes you've made along the way. I'm just curious what some of them, like, what's, what do you consider a mistake that you've learned from? <laughs> I mean, we don't have enough time in this hour, but I'll try to, I'll try to think of the biggest ones. Um, I would say in that transition from computer programming geek two three years here in the Valley, I was like 24, 25, and I started to make my transition to sales. When I started to do sales, I, I did reasonably well from like 24 to 27. I got promoted and I started hiring friends. I started hiring people that I knew, that I trusted, that I thought would, um, you know, would really have my work ethic and my energy and my tenacity and my passion to succeed. Um, and what I learned is that Yes, it's great to have friends, but I would say nine out of 10 times when I look back on my career, when I hired friends, it usually doesn't work out. And the reason it doesn't work out is that unless you both have the same amount of skin in the game, unless you both have the same amount to lose and you both have the same equity, there's going to be sort of an off balance there. And so I would rather take somebody fresh out of school who's green 
that wants to be molded, that wants to learn, that wants to have that same tenacity and energy and effort, but has no ties to me. And they'll either succeed or fail based on their own merits and how I train them and whatnot. So for me, one of the failures was I must have gone four years of thinking that if I hire friends that I trust, you know, kind of like the, you know, the old mafia statement, you keep your, you know, your friends close, your enemies closer. I wanted to keep everybody close so that I could herd them together and train them and make them feel like, hey, you're my friend. We're all going to make money together. And not everybody reacts that way. Not everybody's motivated by the same drivers. And so the biggest one I would say is don't feel like you need to hire friends. That's, that's really something that is a plague in Silicon Valley in particular. And I just learned it too late. I probably missed a couple of years of advancing my businesses by hiring friends that ultimately didn't work out. And then it's really super shitty, bad, because now you have to fire a friend if you're the CEO. And there's nothing worse other than firing a family member, which I've never hired family members. So that's the big one. The second one I would say, and I'll be, I'll be more brief, is, um, is, is the time when you have to let somebody go. And I, in my 20s and into my 30s, um, always felt like I was building great teams. That's after I learned not to hire friends. I felt like we were producing great product or service. We were making money for the company, for each other. And then you have the bell curve. You have the people on the right side that are the one or 2% that are kicking ass, taking names, they're doing well, and they're kind of self-sufficient. You've got the middle who are kind of like, they're doing their job, they're not exceeding, they're not failing, but they're doing their job, they're okay, and they're secure in their job. And then you've got the bottom 10% that you have to let go. You have to fire for performance reasons, or they're just not working out, or they haven't picked it up uh, in terms of the job. And answering your question, Michelle, I always was too nice, and I felt like I could help get them to the next level. I could help get them into their job and, and really make a difference. And usually by the time I let them go, it was six months beyond where it should have been or even worse, eight, nine months, 12 months. And so it's always hard to fire people. I mean, in 30 years, I've probably hired and fired 5,000 um, people here in the Valley. Um, and it's never easy. I still get a pit in my stomach when I know I've got to let somebody or an entire worse, an entire division go. But the sooner you rip off that bandage and the sooner you've made that decision, the sooner that you can move forward and you can build the business in a way and hire and put people in place that are going to succeed. So those are the two that come to mind the most. Okay. I have a, a few student questions here. Um, Scott and Damati, if you want to add to um, add on. The first is what is your favorite part about your job? Um, and secondly, um, well, this is more specific to Scott. Um, could you give an intro to what venture capitalism is? For example, how do you choose which startups to invest in? And what does a typical day on the job look like? Yeah, Domitil, why don't I've been doing a lot of talking. Why don't you dive in and I'll hit that last <laughs> question after you're done. Um, the only thing that I had to add, and this was to the previous question um, about mistakes, is uh, I had two professors who were in the venture capital world and they told us because the class was based on like building startups for venture capitalists. Um, they told us that the main mistake that people do is that they don't reach out to people who have done the same thing before them but have failed. So you're not reinventing the wheel when you do stuff like if you have thought about it, someone has probably done it before and you need to put in the time and energy to like research and like get in contact and to like see what has been done before in your area, you know, like you not you're never like reinventing the wheel. Um, so like, make sure you do that and then you can have a better business by doing that. That was the only thing I had to add. <laughs> oh, that's good. No, I think that's right. I think that's right. And to kind of transition that piece to what's a day in the life like, and you know, what is, what does the job entail? Um, it's really in three different areas. L let me, let me back up. Let me give you a typical day. Um, I am for sure a workaholic. Uh, my wife tells me that all the time. My kids tell me that all the time. I'm very respectful of how transparent they are. Um, I have a lot of um, business in Asia. So um, I am up early and, and to bed late, but that's by choice. Um, I'm usually meeting with 
on average about 12 to 15 companies a day. So my meetings are very structured. They're no more than a half an hour. Sometimes they go 40 minutes if I'm interested. And I will tell you that the best and worst part of my job is that I can tell within probably no more than seven minutes whether I'm even remotely interested. Now, I used to be an a-hole and I used to like immediately cut people off and say, okay, this is not for me, move on. Um, I've matured in my uh, age. Um, and look, people are there, they're nervous, they're either first-time entrepreneurs or multiple entrepreneurs, and it's common courtesy to give them the half an hour to listen to the pitch, they put time into that. And so um, I, I go through somewhere between 12 and 15 pitches a day, in between those 12 to 15 pitches a day, so there's three buckets that I mentioned, that's net new business. So that's me evaluating companies and as to whether we then wanna actually write checks, which I'll get to in a minute. So evaluating net new companies. The second part of my job is mentoring existing companies that are in what we call our portfolio. So the last fund that we raised was 160 million. And from that 160 million, we've already written checks for about half of that. So 80 million, we've invested in different companies here and there. And then we have 80 million that what we call is powder dry. So let's say that I invested in Jane and Michelle's entrepreneurial Shrewsbury um, fashion business. And I wrote them a check for a million dollars. When I, when I give them that million dollars, there are certain considerations. By the way, I'm not writing you a check for a million dollars, ladies. I, I loved where your head was at with that. Um, but if I did, then I would keep a million, what we call powder dry, so that as Michelle and as Jane accelerated their business and they're doing really well, I'm going to want to put more money in the company because that's how you maintain your equity position of which when I write them a check, I usually take 20 to 30% of their company. So I don't want to go down a rat hole, but if, if Jane and Michelle both own hundred percent of the company, 50% each, and I come in and I love what they're doing. And I say, here's a million dollars. I usually take 25% of that. So Jane and Michelle are going to give me 12 and a half percent each. I'm gonna coach them, I'm gonna mentor them, I'm gonna say, you're doing this right, you're doing this wrong, I think you should be going to China for your products, I think you should be manufacturing and distributing in Asia a little bit less and over in New Mexico. And that's the mentoring, that's the coaching, that's the operational. I wanna help them be successful because I've given them a lot of money and I don't wanna see that go to waste. Um, the third part of our business is actually raising money. So we raise money, um, and, and that $160 million just didn't show up in a bank account someday. We actually had to go to what we call LPs or limited partners. So I go to my alma mater, UMass, and I say, hey, thank you for the engineering degree. I loved my, my, my experience here. Ha, ha, ha. I always laugh behind the scenes. Uh, give me $10 million that is basically student money, and I'm going to go invest that money so that 10 million turns into 100 million. And I have to go to every university and convince them of that. I also have to go to endowments like um, the Rockefeller Endowment, right? Um, that that all of these places that are into real estate that have had money in oil, they want to diversify, and so they give me that money. Um, I, I think I went down a little bit of a rat hole there. So my day is. 12 to 15 meetings, and that's net new business. I'd say four to five hours is calls with um, existing CEOs and um, C-level executives of the portfolio companies that we've written checks to, to help them in some way, shape, or form build and continue to build their business. And the other um, per percentage of my time is constantly talking to people that um, are willing to give us money to raise our next fund. Um, that's, that's kind of the breakdown. Um, we have a, a comment and a question. S small startups come with a lot of risk. So have there been times when a company you were part of went bankrupt? <laughs> seven out of 10. So seven on average, if you Google percentage of startups that fail, dependent on the source, it's going to be between 70 to 80% of the startups. Um, and that's terrifying. Um, I have been part of that statistic. So I've, I've started three companies um, and two of them failed. Um, so, you know, I'd like to tell you that there's a playbook that says, 
hey, as a high school student, you know, Scott, you've had 30 years of experience. You've clearly written a playbook or two about how not to fail or don't go down this path or don't go down this door or don't hire this person. Um, but there's too many different nuances and things that happen in business that'll happen in your career that cannot guarantee success. I will tell you though, um, that one of my biz biggest successes throughout the 30 years and even in venture has been acknowledging failure, recognizing you will fail and just trying not to make the same stupid mistake twice. Like that is literally, if, if, if I were to give you any advice aside from like connecting with me on LinkedIn, staying close to each other and, and just kind of continuing to network and be diligent about your work ethic, it is you are going to fail. You are going to fail at a job. You are going to fail at relationships. You, I mean, it sounds terrible, right? But it's what we do with that failure. What are the lessons that we've learned from that failure that improve our personal life with relationships that we choose? What are the things that we've learned in business where we failed in a job or we failed with a boss or we failed with a business deal that we did or failing when I'm coding for a bank and I miss a decimal point and $10 million goes from Montreal to Saudi Arabia, which it did, by the way, that's a completely separate story. Um, so learning from the failures in being a venture capitalist and recognizing that if I invest in 10 companies, seven out of 10 of those are going to fail. What can I do to drop that to six? What can I do to drop that to five out of 10 where it's a coin toss? And that's the biggest, saddest, most frustrating part of my job is knowing that it's very hard to fight that statistically um, proven number over time. Because I hate to fail. I hate when I give money to people and they fail. Um, but that is the nature of this business. Okay, I have a question, um, Scott, and both you and Domatil, the second one. So um, what was your experience like in Colombia? And then for both of you, are there any classes or clubs that you think really helped you in high school to make your career choices as an entrepreneur, venture capitalist, Peace Corps member? And are there any that you wish you, you would have taken? Domatil? Um, yeah, I can go. Um, so my experience in Colombia had a lot of highs and lows, as does anything. Um, Peace Corps is very strange because you're completely taken out of anything that you understand and you're put into a completely different context that you don't understand at all. So like, for example, even just like eating is like different or like walking in the street is different and you don't necessarily understand what you're doing that's different. Um, I would say that it really changed the way I look at the world. It changed like how I grew up. I was a little girl <laughs> before I went into Peace Corps and I came back like much more mature. Um, it was really difficult. Like there was a lot, it was really frustrating because it's a completely different culture. So like, for example, Columbia is kind of known for not showing up on time to meetings, um, not planning classes, stuff like that. So the people that I worked with, there was a lot of um, meetings about setting expectations and it, I really had to learn how to like chill out. I think uh, Mateel is frozen there. Okay. Yeah. Uh, um, so I got to, I got to refresh my memory with the question. Oh, classes. Yeah. So obviously in high school, you know, anything related to finance or if you, I don't know, does SHS have like entrepreneurship programs or electives? Do you know? That's going to, I'm going to leave that to the students or Matteo, you've been, you're more recently at the high school. Do you recall clubs, activities focused on entrepreneurship? Not that I remember. No. no? Not that I remember. All right. One well, of our, I'm, one I'm of our students says there's an economics class. That's about it. <laughs> yeah, that's not entrepreneurialism. That's that's just the number. So I'm going to offer once this pandemic is gone that um, maybe at the start of the next school season, if if I have some time, maybe maybe what we can talk about doing is like an online class 
like it's going to be hard for me because I travel a lot, but I would love to maybe do an online class where it's like an hour a night and um, I'll put the curriculum together, maybe throw it to you, Jane and Michelle to maybe think about, but you know, and maybe it's course elective or something like that, or maybe they get a, a credit or something, but it needs to be specific to either venture or entrepreneurialism or startup that teaches people how to build companies and how to invest in companies. And economics is just this broad category. And I'm, I'm not disrespecting our, our educational system in the slightest. It's just that if you're specifically asking about venture startup or entrepreneurialism, it's not just, I mean, economics is so broad. It's microeconomics, it's macroeconomics, and there's so much more to that. So I'll put a pin in that for a second. Um, and then the last, one of the questions from Ronit, I guess, was how to invest in companies, startups, what captures your attention, what makes it extend from a half an hour to 40 minutes? It's a great question. Um, I am always fascinated with the passion that entrepreneurs have about a product. And I know it sounds silly, but I don't care if it's like the next generation pen or if it's the best virtual remote control or the most ergonomic, you know, design glass that's going to change the way that people engage with those products. And seeing that passion in somebody that has put the time in to build a deck, to go out and have the guts to raise a million or $2 million, to me, it's about the people. Because the people at the end of the day, and you'll hear Venture talk about this all the time, where you've invested a little bit of money and then they pivot, right? They pivot because either Microsoft or Facebook or Google came into their space and they've got enough of a product or a platform where they can kind of tilt the degrees over here and go into another area. And so you need passionate people that, that can really get the job done. And then the second is the market opportunity. So um, there's a great book out there called Blue Ocean Strategies. Um, I have no affiliation to it other than I love the book. And it basically talks about skating where the puck isn't. It, 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 it's about getting a product or a service that while people may have thought about the general space before, they haven't solved this problem. And usually when I get excited about a company, it's when I love the founders, I love the passion that they have, and I love the problem that they're trying to solve because I can relate to it. Um, so that's when it usually goes from 30 minutes to 40 or 45. And most people know in the Valley that if my meetings go longer than 30 minutes, then, then there's usually some interest. And then I bring them back and we really go into financial due diligence, technical due diligence, and then um, I do background checks on them. Scott, I'm just wondering how people find you. I mean, are they just Googling venture capitalists and this list comes up or is there a networking, you know, to, when you talk about networking, is it about, you know, talking to the right people and finding the right people? Yeah, that's a great question. So. I will tell you that in, and this is not just representative of me, but in 99% of venture, if you just, you know, take, take your business plan and you submit it to, you know, my, my company at myname.com, um, that gets read by three associates, two admins, and probably the janitor before it gets to me. And I don't say that from an ego perspective. It's just that we get thousands of proposals every day. The ones that I read are the ones that if Jane or Michelle who are my age that went to SHS and they say, Hey Scott, thanks for the pitch. Fast forward six months, six months ago with our, with our students at SHS, we actually did come up with an idea. We want to raise a million dollars. It's a fashion idea. It's new. And we want to get a meeting. I'm probably going to take that meeting. Why? Because I know Jane and Michelle, there's a connection to SHS. Um, and, um, if nothing more, I'm going to make them buy me drinks and pay for dinner at, at this pitch. Um, so it's the, really where I'm going with this message is it's who you know, right? And so if I, as an entrepreneur, when I raised my money for my three startups, I never just sent an email to Domatel. I never sent an email to Charles or to um, uh, Karish. What I did was, is I went to their LinkedIn profiles and I found out, is there somebody that they know that I know already? And then I would go to that person and say, hey, Domitel, I want to reach out to Jane at SHS. I want to pitch an idea for a new course class for her. Can you make an introduction and remind her who I am? So again, think about it. It's the friend network, right? It's who you know and who you're connected to that helps you get that meeting. And that's not, I'd say that's seven or eight out of 10 times of how 
I really get the meetings that I, that I really love. The next question um, to Scott and Damati, how, how have your work lives changed since COVID-19? Damati, you wanna take that for first? Uh, sure. Well, I got evacuated from my work. So um, right now I am looking for work. Um, I think that it is, it, COVID-19 has brought up a lot of like issues since most people are, on, are asking for unemployment, me included. Um, so it's really hard to find a job if you don't have the, like, the very high qualifications that most people are asking for right now, since most entry level and most normal jobs are getting um, are, are ended. I, I don't really know what else to say to that. I'm actively looking for jobs and applying to something every day. So that's the only difference for me. You're, Jane, you're on mute. Sorry. Uh, yep. For the students who came in late, Damati came back from the Peace Corps. Um, yeah. Yes. So Damati, do you want to just um, say a couple of things about how you, when you were notified, you had to come home and how you adjusted. Yeah, so we got the we got the email on a Saturday, on a Sunday at 10 p.m. and we had to evacuate to the Capitol in less than 12 hours. So I had to like pack up my entire room, say goodbye to all of my community projects that were starting, goodbye to all of my friends in sight, um, and then we were in the Capitol, and then we got evacuated. So there's 7,300 volunteers back in the states right now, and we all came back the same week. So we're all kind of applying for the same jobs. We all have non-competitive eligibility for federal jobs, which means you don't have to go through all of the bureaucracy. You can get a fast track to getting a federal job. Um, I think adjustment has been pretty nice in general because I have a stable financial situation and I live with my parents, but other people are not as lucky. Um, yeah, I, you just, I, Something that's been really important is I've tried to like stay as productive as I can while I'm here. So like, um, even if I don't have a job, like I volunteer at St. Anne's for the pantry stuff. I um, help my mom out with her business because right now it's really taking off surprisingly, <laughs> even during the quarantine. Um, so just find ways to like, you know, keep yourself busy and um, make yourself a better person, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Great advice. Thanks, Domati. And Scott, what about you? Um, how, how has your changed? Yeah, it's, uh, it's really interesting. I think the first thing that it's changed um, is my travel. I mean, I'm on the road usually 50% of the time, which has come to a screeching halt. Um, I think the next thing is even when I'm not traveling globally, I'm traveling around the Bay Area. That's also come to a screeching halt. Zoom is um, my best friend when I'm meeting with entrepreneurs or with colleagues or with um, um, you know, high schools that I've been to. Um, and I, I think I agree with Domati that, that you have to find time in your day that makes you productive, right? Um, I actually feel like I'm in better shape now than I was before the pandemic started um, because it's forcing me to write in my, my calendar, my Google calendar from um, seven in the morning to eight, like work out, like be active, get your heart rate up, um, walk the dog for a half an hour, like find time in the day to pack thing in the things that are, are meaningful, that matter to you, that are personal, aside from the work that is always going to be there. And that's the other thing that I wanted to kind of touch on very, very briefly from what I said before, you know, you can work yourself to death. Um, I love work. I, I enjoy the people that I meet with. I have a great job. I'm very fortunate in what I do. Um, it pays very well. Um, and so I, I build on that with my energy and my own sort of desire to succeed and, and do other things. But at the end of the day, my kids, my wife, they keep me grounded. They constantly remind me of what matters, which is family. And when you are in the middle of a pandemic, which is only hopefully God happening once every hundred years, we just all have to remember what's important. Family first and everything else is, is secondary. So if you think about family and probably for most of you, your friends are right up there, if not a little higher right now as teenagers, um, you just have to remember that that 
energy that you have as a teenager about to become a young adult has to be put to use, good use. Um, don't sit home and watch, you know, binge watch um, Tiger King for, you know, four days straight. Don't, you know, go out and hang out with friends that you haven't seen in six months, you miss them and you get, you, you know, you get the COVIDs. So it's like, be smart, focus on family and, and just really do the things that you can do in a little bit of an isolated way that keeps you energized throughout the day so that you're, you're feeling productive. That's, that's my best advice because that's, that's what I'm doing. I just want to add quickly to that. When I was a Peace Corps volunteer, my days were really um, like unplanned. So something that was really helpful to me, and also I went through this in university because when I was in high school, the transition for me to college was pretty tough because my parents had always been telling me to like get good grades, had always like been watching me. And then suddenly in university, I was like completely by myself. And I was like, oh, I can just like read all day and I don't need to like do my homework. Cool. And you just have to know what will work for you. And for me and for most people, because we all kind of have the same functioning brain, it's setting a schedule for you. And like, as Scott said, um, like putting the thing in at 7 a.m. to like go work out. For me, that was like at 4 p.m. while I was in C-score. And I had like 10 such activities that I put out throughout the day. And then I would try to get through all 10 of them if my day had nothing. And if obviously I had work, then I was happy to have that instead. But I think it's really important to set goals for yourself because if you don't, you will lounge around and do nothing. You know, like try to set a standard for yourself. Great advice. Um, we, I was going to say, we have another um, student question that I want to be sure we get to. And it's interesting that we've done a lot of these um, sessions with alumni all week. And I feel like there are definitely some consistent themes throughout all of them. And one of them is networking. We have heard that over and over again. It doesn't matter what you're doing now, where you went to college, what you studied. Um, networking is everyone's advice. So this okay. question is from a student who says, I'm shy and lack confidence. Do you have any tips on networking strategies? Um, just a quick thing for this. I am also a very shy person with people that I don't know. Um, so when I was at McGill, what I did is I signed up for every single networking event that my school offered. And since I was in the business school, there was a lot. I went to a lot of like engineering ones. I went to a lot of things where I was completely out of place and I felt so awkward. But by forcing myself to do that at least like three to five to 10 times a semester, plus there's normally free food at them, which was a great incentive. Um, it really forced me to, um, you know, like go up to, I would like go up to someone who I thought that their outfit looked cool. So mostly women and I would be like, I really like your jacket. Like, what do you do? You know, and just forcing myself to do that, I think was so important. And now I'm much less scared to like go up to people and just like start with a random compliment, which I think is a great way to like start a conversation. And then you immediately try to like ask very basic questions about their background. Obviously, I'm a lot younger um, than Scott and Michelle and Jane, so they probably have better advice for networking. But as someone who was in like super uncomfortable in university about this, you, you have to push yourself out of your comfort zone to get better at it. You know, practice makes perfect. And that includes, unfortunately, social skills. <laughs> so definitely recommend doing that and profiting on the cheese that they offer at these events most of the time. I think that's great advice, Domitil. And I think leveraging that, let's say that, let's say that you do that, but you're still shy, you're still a little uncomfortable being in major social situations and being really out in front. The thing that LinkedIn has provided us, um, and again, no affiliation, um, is this one level removed from who you want to connect with. And the thing that I, the last slide that I usually have on the presentations that I do um, at colleges and universities, um, because to, to Michelle's point, it's always asked, well, what can I be doing now, Scott? Number one, connect with me on LinkedIn. Number two, start connecting with each other on LinkedIn. If you don't have a LinkedIn profile, create one and just start your networking that you would normally do on other social media like Facebook, TikTok, Snapchat, whatever the latest thing is, and use that in balance, in measured balance to what you're doing with the rest of social media. You're, you guys are already way more social than we were. Um, but if you do this now as high school students, I'm telling you 
that by the time you are entering the workforce, the professional workforce and adulting, adulting, um, you are going to have far more contacts across not just your region within Shrewsbury, Worcester and, and Boston, but you're going to have contacts with the parents. You're going to have contacts with people like me in Silicon Valley. And that has a multiplicative effect. And so, as I said in the beginning, and, and I'm glad that we're closing with this, um, it is about networking. And you can do this in a way where you're not having to be socially in front of a whole bunch of adults or a whole bunch of people that you're not familiar with. If, if, if I were to give you only one piece of advice from all of this, venture, networking, startup, whatever, whatever it is networking. And reach out and find people. Uh, I, tell, I told my daughters this when, when they were your age. It's like, you don't have to put yourself in a position where you're completely uncomfortable all the time. But I told them, I used to have business dinners over all the time with a whole bunch of different business executives. I wanted them to walk up, introduce themselves. Hi, I'm Brianna. I'm going to Penn State. I'm doing finance or hi, I'm Kayla. And I'm doing, um, you know, doctorate pre-thesis, you know, talk to me a little about what you're doing. And then you don't exchange business cards. You just connect with that person on LinkedIn. And once you're connected, now you have that connection. And like I said, that has this massive multiplicative effect over a year, three years, four years, five years. And by the time you are graduating college, you're going to have 1,000, 2,000, 3,000 connections. And that is what's going to help you network not only to your probably your first job, but also give you opportunity if you're doing sales or marketing or, or engineering. And um, I just can't stress that enough is, is networking through either LinkedIn. And if you um, have the ability to do it in person and to attend different functions that are local, um, do that as much as humanly possible. Also, one last thing about attending functions. Uh, something that I did is that I would write down questions and I put them a little, I put a little card in my pocket. And if I was feeling like really uncomfortable, I would just like look at the stuff that I had pre-planned. I actually did that in Peace Corps too. Um, like since it was in a different language, I would prepare all of my conversations. And you may think that that is really dumb and very nerdy, but it actually really helps to like put you at ease. Also, something that really helps is to write down the stuff that you're nervous about because once you put it down on paper and you like take the five minutes to like think about your feelings, once you get to that event, you're much less nervous about it. So those are just some tips to approach actual events. I obviously have a knack for putting myself in uh, situations where I'm very uncomfortable. <laughs> so maybe doing it on LinkedIn is <laughs> Well, Damati and Scott and this is the Scotty, I can't thank you enough um, and students for being here after a very full uh, Thursday with remote learning and all the other things you have going on in your homes. I've learned so much where we have all of the sessions recorded and we'll be sending out information to both the students and the alumni panelists um, regarding how you can access these recordings. Uh, we're going to do that work next week. Um, so I, I just want to say thank you. And if anyone has any closing comment. This no, thank, thank you. Thank you, Jane, Michelle, um, Domatil. Like it was awesome. I think this is something that I would like to do on a regular basis. I'm not asking you to put in the time, but everybody, please find me on LinkedIn, connect with me on LinkedIn. If you don't have a LinkedIn, you need to create one in the next three days. That's your homework assignment, even though I'm not a teacher. Um, and I just really enjoyed this. And uh, I hope all of you got something from it. And um, if I can help in any way after this, just hit me on LinkedIn, DM me, and uh, I'll help where I can. Thanks so much. Right. Thank you so much. Bye, everyone. <laughs>